Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball Podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks for joining us on our latest podcast, and this will be our last Port Charlotte podcast because camp is going to break on Monday. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times has been with us throughout spring training, as he is every single spring training. And Mark, we are finally getting down to the nitty gritty. Uh, we're getting close. Rays do have a roster that's in the 30s as we record this. They do, Neil, and you know, I think you can you can kind of go a little further and say that, you know, barring injury, of course, and barring news, which has actually been an important proviso this spring because mm-hmm. there's been a heck of a lot of it, but, you know, barring something unexpected happening, I think all the position players are set, save for that last spot in the outfield. I think we've been talking about that for weeks now. You know, they've got some in-house candidates. It could be Coates. It could be Snyder. Johnny Fields played his way into the conversation. They could go against what seems like their need and make it Micah Johnson because I think they want it to be a right-handed hitter. But I still think it's going to be somebody who's not here yet, and we've been talking about that all spring, and he still hasn't shown up, whomever that is. I mean, B.J. Upton was just cut loose. I don't think it's going to be him. Peter Borges is a guy we've talked about, nothing yet on whether he's going to be made available by the Cubs or not. So I think that guy isn't here yet. But really, that's the only spot among the position players. We know who the starting pitchers are. And of the eight relievers, I think we have a pretty good idea who six or seven of them are. So there's really only a couple things still to be decided. But yet, because there's so many bodies here, there's going to be some more moving parts to this, whether that means some guys being traded, some guys being let go. Somebody could still be released contract-wise, and, and you know the team could save some money if it was an arbitration player such as Dan Jennings. So there's a lot of things that could happen. There's no doubt about that. Um, and you mentioned injuries. Let's get to that first, You know, provided there are no injuries. Well, Brad Miller is now playing on a fairly regular basis every other day at first base. He's getting at bats. Malik Smith on Thursday is going to play against the Blue Jays in Dunedin and played in a minor league game, and you spoke to him, and everything seemed pretty good. And those are probably two of the areas uh, where there would have been some concern going into this week a little bit. Well, and and probably, if nothing else, it'll let the Rays be a little cautious in in maybe making some of these moves and dragging them on. I mean, they have really until... You know, the season doesn't open until next Thursday, so they've really got you know another full week here to, to work with, and you're not obligated to let guys go. Sometimes you do as a courtesy because you give them a chance to catch on with somebody else. But you know they may have to hang on to some pieces here just to see. And you know, here's the unknown factor, and I'm going to put Matt Duffy in this category too. And I know if he was walking by here, he wouldn't, he wouldn't like it, and he'd probably give us a dirty look or something. But how are these guys going to be able to play on turf? I mean, to be able to play in Port Charlotte, under controlled conditions where, like you said, like you play every other day with Brad Miller. Malik's played a minor league game where he, you know, could basically do what he wanted. If he wanted a bat, didn't want a bat. He just got to pick a spot in the order. But put these guys in a regular game routine, put them on the turf at Tropicana Field, new turf at Tropicana Field, in fact, and, 
you know, see how they're going to hold up there. So I think that's going to be something the Rays are going to have to kind of adjust to as they go. I mean, assuming Miller and Smith are on the opening day roster, you know, can they play every day? And, you know, the schedule's fortuitous in that regard, four games at home and then a long road trip in cold weather. But, you know, all that factors in. These are all things that it's so easy, and, and I fall just as guilty of this as you do, to be, you know, the GM sitting at the keyboard or at the microphone or something. But when, you know, you're the actual GM making all these decisions, there's so many things they have to factor in, and those are part of it. No doubt. And and a big piece of all this, is, as we kind of walk through, is the fact that you're right. You don't. You should wait as long as you possibly can because injuries can happen, and there are minor league games or spring training exhibition games through Tuesday. So you might as well keep hold of everyone you have so your depth is as good as it possibly can be. Yeah, I know Kevin Cash said a couple days ago he expected to have things wrapped up here by Sunday. The Rays play their last game in Port Charlotte against the Yankees. Then they, I think they're going to dress here, it turns out, in the morning on Monday and then drive up to Lakeland, play a game there. Then they play at the Trop on Tuesday. And you know, this happens kind of every every spring, Neil, and I think we're all used to it, is they have all these plans to do all this stuff ahead of time, and then it never happens. And, and my guess is we will be at Tropicana Field, if not the day of Tuesday's exhibition game, possibly even for there's going to be a voluntary workout on Wednesday, and that's when the final decisions may come. That's what happened last year, and it was actually, if you remember, a very touching scene when Daniel Robertson uh, found out he was going to make the roster, and he got to share with us, you know, his story and, and his memories of his dad and, you know, that whole moment there. But, you know, this may come just as a point. This may come right down to Wednesday, the day before again this year. No doubt. Heartwarming moment. Look, you're do- looking at the history of 20 years of Rays baseball. And, I mean, you look back to Greg Norton getting hurt and Carlos Pena making the roster 11 years ago. And he wasn't supposed to make the team. He did. And lo and behold, it really had a great impact on the Rays franchise going forward. It did. And, you know, that's something that's you know going to be on a list uh, somewhere in the newspaper as far as some of the best moves the Rays made. But, yeah, sometimes you need a little bit of luck, too. And in their case, you know, they kind of made the decision that Carlos Pena wouldn't be on the team, the 07 team. Then Norton gets hurt. And then Pena is on the 07 team. And 46 home runs later, it, they looked really smart in doing that, and, and then obviously he was a key part of those 08, 09, and 2010 teams. No doubt. Um, let's touch on numbers in camp, and we found out the Rays actually have added for the time being, at least as we record this, to camp because they have their third catcher now. Um, Kurt Casale is the guy. Um, he's certainly very familiar. He's been with the organization. He went outside, didn't work out in free agency this spring. And he is, uh, I think, a really good insurance policy to have behind Jesus Sucre and Wilson Ramos. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it was, you know, one of those situations when it happened, it was early in the offseason, and the Rays essentially forced the action here, and they decided to let him go as a minor league free agent. But talking to Kurt then, he obviously has good agents, and and he's a smart guy to begin with. He went to Vanderbilt, after all. But, um, you know, he was smart enough to realize that this was actually a positive and that the Rays were doing it early enough in the offseason. Then he just had some misfortune. He signed, uh, or, or bad karma, however you want to put it, he signs on with the Anaheim Angels uh, with kind of what he thought was, you know, an implicit agreement that, you know, he would be their backup or have a best shot to be their backup big league level. They sign a couple other guys. He's okay with that. Then they go out and they end up adding Rene Rivera, who he lost his job to here with the Rays, ironically, and now he has him in front of him again. So he's got to deal with that issue of having Rene Rivera. So then he gets out of that contract. He's released uh, by the Angels at his request. He signs a minor league deal with the Texas Rangers. Then it turns out that doesn't work out either. And then the Rays turn back to him. And, and he, look, I, I mean, I'm not saying that Johnny Monell, Jorge Carrillo, Adam Moore, those three guys that the Rays had brought in, they've been with them all camp. You know, I think they were looking at some scenario of trying to keep all three of those guys at Durham, maybe shuttling one around a little bit. 
But, you know, the Shufo suspension really kind of messed up their plans to have, you know, that veteran guy, or at least veteran in terms of being experienced with their pitchers, you know, at AAA that they could use and be able to bring up. And they don't have that situation now. I think Casale will give them that. No doubt about that. He certainly will. And I think it's a nice guy to have in camp because he has experience with all these pitchers too, whether they were in AAA last year or they're in the big leagues. Either way, it's going to help. All right. The bullpen is the area where Kevin Cash says the hardest decisions are going to be. We are getting closer to those decisions. The automatics, Rowe, Romo, Colome, Alvarado, Andres. Does it go beyond that at this point? Are you sure about Alvarado? I mean, I still think, I, I, I guess, I know he's pitched his way onto the team. But, you know, there's still an issue here, to, to me at least, is, you know, are they going to, if Alvarado's on the team, that means either they're going to have to adjust their plan to have only four short guys and four long guys. Or they'd have to keep another lefty at the expense of Chaz Rowe, which I don't think they want to do. I think they really like Chaz Rowe, especially when his slider got you know 1.5 million hits on Instagram the other day. I mean, that was like Solance type uh, social media response. But uh, you know, so then what do you do with Dan Jennings? If you, you could send Alvarado down and keep Dan Jennings, if you put Alvarado on the team, then either Dan Jennings has to be used as a long guy, which he really hasn't done, and then they really only gave him like one try at it back here on the backfields one day. Or you got to cut them loose or trade them, and, and that's going to impact some other things. But, you know, that long man side of the bullpen is the bigger question mark, and that's where Andres is in. Those other three spots seem pretty open. I would think Ryan Yarbrough looks to be in pretty good shape right now because they're going to want at least one of those four guys to be a lefty, the ability to start a righty, bring in a lefty, and then turn it around on one of those bullpen days. Those other spots, it could be Kittredge. It could be Pruitt. Those would certainly be two candidates that would be amongst the possibilities there. And Yanni Chirinos. Yeah, and that's the guy that you know we've talked about before. They like that ground ball mix. Now, he hasn't looked good this spring, and you do wonder, will they decide he needs a month at AAA even though he had such a good AAA year last year? Or do you just do like you did with Austin Pruitt last year, decide he's ready, put him on the big league roster, and see what happens? It didn't really work out for Austin Pruitt earlier in the year. He obviously got a little more comfortable as the year went on. You know, is Johnny Chirinos a guy who's going to handle that, or is that going to rattle it? Those are all part of the things we're going to find out. The, the hardest piece of that for me is – do you make much of AAA numbers, more of AAA numbers than you do of a couple weeks of spring training? And and that's, I think, the Rays generally go by what you did during a real season and not as much about what you do in March. And sometimes it's funny, too, and it, we'll never know this because they never really ever tell us the truth about this, but it seems like a lot of times, you know, they come in, they kind of have a plan and they kind of know who's going to make the team and then... Guys do bad, guys do good, guys have short little injury spurts, they miss a little time, somebody becomes the hot story, like Johnny Field became the hot story a week or two ago. And But they kind of know what they're going to do. And, and in Yanni Chirinos' case, that may have be, been the plan all along, that he was going to be one of these guys because they like the ground balls that he get and throws the heavy sinker. And whether he pitched good, bad, or indifferent, he was still going to be on the team. Well, we'll certainly see how it plays out. There's still a lot of baseball to be played and a lot of decisions to formally be made. And a guy who's going to be following them the whole way through is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times when he's not doing his 20th anniversary work. Mark, we certainly appreciate all your time down here in Port Charlotte. Thank you, Neil. I do want you to know that on my list of Ray's radio broadcasters, you will make the top 20. Boy, that's encouraging since I don't know if I get to 10. Six, I think, right? Six? Wow. I made the top 20 out of six. Boy, who knew? And quite an honor it is to have Mark on this podcast. Well, sort of. Now, as Mark and I discussed, the Rays still have to decide on their fifth outfielder. In-house, Johnny Field is among the final candidates. Now, he's had a tough time the past couple of days, but before that, 
was going really well, and I asked Johnny how much that had to do with being in his third camp with the Rays. Yeah, I would say the comfort level is a little more because you're around the guys more. You know most of the guys before you even get here. Um, you know what to expect, how they kind of run things here and do their camps. And uh, they just come in each year a little bit older, a little more experienced, playing at a little bit higher levels. We are a little bit closer to getting to where you want to be. And definitely I'd say the comfort level is a little bit better. You've certainly gotten a lot more playing time um, than you have previously. Has that helped with your confidence, do you think, or do you come into this camp any differently than you have in the past? You know, I'd say this camp's a little bit different. I mean, you always want to be in the big leagues with the first two camps. You're probably realistically looking at, like, you know what, I'm part of this here for a little bit and then get some experience and go back down. But this camp, it's like you want to come at the intent to try and make a team and, and make an impression and make it make it tough on the, the guys making the decisions. Um, but, yeah, I would say just being around these guys that I've been with for two years now, this being my third year with them in camp and knowing their faces and talking to them more and more makes it a little bit easier. Certainly you had a, a good camp. Did you, to this point, have you done anything differently in the offseason to prepare than maybe you did the last two? Uh, slightly. Slightly some tweaks here and there with my swing. and uh, But just kind of more of really setting goals this offseason and coming with the intention that uh, I want to come in here and make it, like I said, as tough as possible for them and, and try to make a team. And uh, I mean, you, you've been, you go to AAA for a couple of years, you have some success, and it's great and all, but it's like obviously everyone in this clubhouse wants to be in the big leagues, and that's what they're all pushing for. Um, so I just come in with a mindset that want to make an impression every day and, and, and compete every single day. You mentioned tweaks in your swing. What did you do in the offseason maybe differently, or what would be most noticeable about your swing that's different? Um, I mean, it's tough to, I mean, there's little things here and there, but baseball is a game of adjustments. You're always making adjustments with your swing. Um, me, I'm just more trying to stay back my, on my backside more. And uh, sometimes I get myself in trouble. I'm kind of going forward at the ball and uh, kind of leaves you susceptible to certain pitches. So just staying back more and just having an approach to kind of put the ball in play more and spread the ball around the field and not just be more middle of the pole side and using the whole field. So just little things like that where it's constantly a work in progress. Obviously, you're a guy who takes good care of yourself. I know you were a wrestler, too, growing up. But physically, are you any different? And in, in was your training any different, let's say, this offseason than past ones? I'd say it's similar. I still worked out with the same trainer back home. And uh, it's got after it. Every offseason, I try to work as hard as I can. So when I come into season, my body's ready to hold up for 100, 140 to 160 game schedule and, and ready to go. So take a lot of pride in, in working hard in the offseason and, and preparing for the next upcoming season. And where do you think, are you quicker, stronger maybe than you were this time a year ago, or, or is there any noticeable change? Well, I mean, right now it's, it's early now. So, I mean, it's early now, and I feel really good on the bases, running the bases, and, and feel strong. And whether or not it's better or stronger or quicker, I know, like, in the weight room and stuff, I felt like I was really strong in this offseason and did a lot of speed work. But, yeah, right now I feel great. I don't know if it's quicker or stronger than last year, but I feel great right now. And you were part of the national championship team in AAA last year. What did you take away from the experience from a team standpoint and also from a personal standpoint? Because I know it probably wasn't your best year overall in mm -hmm. terms of the numbers. No, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I've been pretty lucky to be on some good teams throughout high school and college and win some championships. But it was my first time in pro ball in my pro career playing in the postseason. So coming up for four years, whatever, I never played in the postseason. Idea was, was hurt. Our team didn't make it. So experiencing uh, like postseason baseball for the first time in pro ball is pretty cool. And seeing that team atmosphere come together because obviously coming up, it's a little bit more individualized. Guys looking out for themselves. 
But when you get to the postseason, it's all about winning. And so getting to experience that, coming up with a lot of guys I played with for many years, and we all kind of gelled and, and bonded well, it was, it was a really fun run we had. And for you personally, how do you want to grow as a baseball player this year? What do you think you need to do better to get to the big leagues for the first time? Uh, just keep improving. Just keep improving day in, day out. Um, I take a lot of pride in being well-rounded, whether it's finding a way to be a, a winning player and help the team win in whatever way, whether that's come up with a big hit or, or make a diving catch or, or steal a base and just be well-rounded all around and, and keep improving day in, day out. That's Johnny Field, and he's battling with Jason Coates and Brandon Snyder for that last spot in the race outfield. Now, Snyder was an infielder before playing the outfield, and he's also been around the block, too. And I asked Brandon how he came to pick the Rays as a free agent. You know, in the years past, playing against uh, the different you know teams within the Rays organization, I just I just always kind of liked how they they did things. I, I um, you know had some buddies that that played in the organization, and um, you know when they when they called over and and wanted to talk, uh, conversation went really well. And then when I called um, Kiermaier and said, "Hey, man." You know, what do you think? And uh, we had a long talk, and by the end of it, I just felt like um, it was a really good opportunity and a good place for me to go, and uh, I'm really happy I made that choice. How did you know KK, and who were some of the other guys that you knew from the organization? Um, well, Kevin and uh, Malix, we and I, we all have the same agent, so um, I just know them through them, and uh, a couple of their guys in here I've either played against or with, pretty much everybody I've played against or with uh, at this point. Um, so you know, having having that is obviously a great you know way to just kind of get comfortable in a new in a new organization. Which I think this is my sixth, so it's not um, like it's that drastic of a change. But at the same time, um, it's really comfortable. Um, and then also talking to Cash uh, this off season, I spoke to him on the phone, and um, I just like the direction that the team was going. I like um, you know his his input as a manager, and uh, you know I'm excited to be here. Two of the other clubs you've been with, of, of this being the sixth, or AL East teams. Was that at all attractive? I mean, you've also been an East Coast guy. Did that matter? Um, I mean, not not necessarily. Uh, at this point, it's it's kind of all the same. New city, you know. We, my family's excited for any any new opportunity to, to get in a in a new city. So, um, I think the biggest thing for me, and it was actually kind of tough for me, was going back to the American League because um, with my skill set playing everywhere, um, I'm more you know of a national league type player because i can move around um you know i've had a lot of success in the past pinch hitting um, stuff like that however with way you know tampa has to play with the turf you almost have to play a little bit more of a national leagues type game and that's what you know really kind of enticed me and i when i spoke with cash this offseason he said hey you know we have to get guys off the turf we have to make moves we have to continually you know, change up our lineups and get guys off their feet because if not, that turf will just wear you down. So um, it kind of it's kind of like a catch twenty two. You get that DH, but at the same time, you get that same type of almost like a, a National League style play. So it's kind of kind of kind of cool. You mentioned playing all around. You weren't always that way. You were, I guess, a catcher when you came up, and then I remember seeing you when you came through the O system, more of a corner infielder, right? Yeah, it, I you know was a shortstop my whole life. Ended up drafted drafted as a catcher, and then. Um, when I had shoulder surgery in 2006 and uh, on my left shoulder and they just kind of put me at first and it kind of happened where the Orioles needed a first baseman at the time so I kind of just stuck over there and in the last couple of years um, especially when I went to Texas in 2012 they started having me play more outfield and that's when I kind of was like you know I think I think this is something I could definitely get um, a lot better at and started kind of working more around and and now like I've had 
with the Braves, I played predominantly all outfield. You know, last year I played third, second, and left. I mean, some years I've played, I was playing center field one year. I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun. Who's been most helpful regarding the outfield? Because you have played more infield still than outfield over the course of your career. Uh, Gary Pettis, by far, um, in, in Texas in 12. Uh, he, you know, took me out and just we worked and worked and worked. And, and he was the one that... Uh, it got me um, to be comfortable out there, and uh, it was just I can't thank him enough for it because we put in a lot of work in Texas and a lot of hot days, but um, it all paid off. And all in this camp, who's been helpful for you? I mean, obviously you mentioned you know KK. He's one of the best in the game, but are there certain guys who have been help, more helpful because you're going to play more corner than anything? Yeah, I actually haven't had any, other than the one game I played in the outfield, I really haven't had a chance to get over and get any work in in the outfield. Um, I am going to be working with Rocco. Uh, I'm going to get out there with Rocco and get out there and, and make sure that uh, I get some outfield work in. But for now, um, you know, Cash just told me, hey, we, we know you can play outfield. Um, that's something I've done probably more in the last couple of years than anything. He's like, so basically just kind of get your, your reps in at, um, you know, first and third, especially with a couple guys banged up. It allows him to, you know, kind of move me across the corners. And then, you know, when time the time comes, I can start working back into the outfield as well. So. And I would guess you've got to feel like that's a position where you could, if you're going to win a job, another right-handed hitting outfielder is, is certainly valuable. Oh, I, I agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, just being the right-handed bat that gives the manager freedom to get guys in any position off their feet, be able to move the lineup up, mix it up, depending on who's hurt, who's not feeling it that day, whatever the case is, I think that that's where my value comes. Um I'm also talking with Cash. You know, I've, last couple of years I've always worked behind the plate, still catching and making sure that I'm staying there. So um, tomorrow I'm going out. I'm going to do a little bit of bullpen work, um, catch a couple of bullpens, and just make sure that I'm staying ready for that as well. So you grew up in a baseball family. Your dad was a pitcher, right? So how did you become on the other side? Was there ever any, any thought of pitching, or were you always a position player? I was that kid that I pitched when I was younger, and because I could throw hard, I pitched way too much threw way too many curveballs so that's why I tell all the kids don't throw curveballs until they're older but uh threw too many curveballs all that but I like to hit man it was one of those where I would have had to been an Otani you know I had to, I had to hit I wasn't gonna just you know pitch and that'd be it and I didn't like to run as much those pitchers run a lot I don't like that I like to I like to just hit and, and hit home runs those are fun <laughs> Good stuff from Brandon Snyder and thanks to him Johnny Field and Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times for being part of our latest this Week in Rays Baseball podcast. Now, this weekend is our final countdown to opening day show with Carlos Gomez, Rays outfielder, and Rocco Baldelli, the outfield coach and Major League Field Coordinator, the guest. The program will air live 12.30 Saturday and Sunday and then replayed as a podcast if you missed it. And then, starting the following weekend, we begin our hour-long This Week in Rays Baseball show every day, 90 minutes before first pitch. That is starting on April 1st. No fooling. Thanks very much for listening to the show. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>